He talks in Matthew, of course, in Luke and Mark, he talks about the kingdom of God, but here he's talking about the kingdom of heaven because he's writing to the Jews. Verse 14 of chapter 25 says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh, now he's talking about Christ, and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. Have any of you looked at the Lord as that type of person? We hear about the sympathetic, loving Jesus today, but this man says, I know what kind of a man you are. You reap where you haven't sown. Now I want you to see Jesus didn't deny this. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. You knew that I was going to demand your profit. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I could have received mine own with interest or usury. You could have put it in the bank, if nothing else. There's several things I want us to notice here in this parable that, that really strikes me. First of all, the first Christian principle of ownership is that if you profess to be a Christian, along with that profession, you are professing that you own nothing. Let me say that again. If you profess to be a born-again Christian, if you are, according to the Word of God, a true born-again Christian, you are saying, I own nothing. Now you say, where do you get that? Look at verse 14 again, Matthew 25, 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants his own servants. That word servant there is doulos, which means his own slaves. And as I looked for the meaning of the Greek, it says one who is the entire property of another. Let me say that again. Called his own servants, one who is the entire property of another. The word doulos meant bond slave. Paul the apostle said in Romans 1.1 that he was a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.1 Paul, a servant, or the same word, doulos, bond slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, or a called out one, separated unto the gospel. He said, I am a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Now let me give you a little background as to where that, the root of meaning of that word comes from, and that's in Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. I want you to see the principle that's involved here concerning being a servant. He says he called his own servants. Now these are servants that have been elevated to a place of trust. And therefore they're called now, they're no longer just called servants. They're called stewards. 
which means one who is responsible for another's property. If you'll look now in, in uh, Exodus, the 21st chapter, it says, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If you buy a slave, in other words. If he came in by himself, he shall go out of by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife of her children shall be her master's, and he shall go out by himself. You understand that? He said if he comes to you as a servant, and he's already married, then when he leaves, he can take his wife with him. If while he's with the master, the master gives him a wife, and while he's still a servant there, he has children. When he leaves, he has to leave his wife and children and he can go free, but not the wife and children, because the master gave the, the wife to him. Verse 5, And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. You understand why the master would be pretty smart in giving him a wife and have children? Because at the end of the seven years, he'd have to make a decision whether he wanted to leave his wife and kids or not. And so he says, I love my And then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, or unto the door post, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him what? Forever. How long is forever? The rest of his life. They understood that that was what you called a willing bond slave. Now that, that term there in the Old Testament is what they're referring to here in the New Testament when Paul says, I am a willing bond slave of Jesus Christ. It means I give up all rights to everything I am, everything I hope to be, everything I possess, everything I hope to possess, all the, the talents and the abilities I have, they're no longer mine. I give them to my master. Now I want to take some time to impress that upon you. This is exactly what Jesus is trying to teach you. Look at 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter with me. This is a consistent principle throughout the New Testament. By the way, anyone who goes around saying, that's not fair, I have my rights, you see, you don't understand biblical principles. That's not fair. You ever hear your children say that? You must sit them down and teach them this principle. What isn't fair? Do you want God to be fair with you? If God's fair with you, what will He do? Cast you into hell. That's what we deserve. Anything outside of hell is mercy and grace. When we think that everything hasn't gone just the way we think it ought to, well, just too unbearable. Let me tell you something. The alternative is much less bearable. When we're a servant of Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that all things work together for good to them that love God. For God's way is perfect. He never makes a mistake. How can I say that God took something away from me if it's not mine? Well, God took all, I mean, I was, had this good job and just God took it away from me. It wasn't your job. Well, it sure was. I got it. Oh, well, how did you get it? Well, I was talented. Where did you get your ability? Oh. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul, he was astounded that the Corinthians had not understood this. He said, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are what? You're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You have no possession of yourself, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Look at 1 Peter 1.18 with me. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, or that means purchased back, purchased back with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
He says, you're not your own. You have been redeemed, not with, with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I, I remember years ago reading a story about a little boy who had spent months building a, a very intricate little sailboat and worked and worked and worked on it by the hour. And when he got all finished, he asked his father if he could take him down to the lake and sail his boat. And he said, sure, no problem at all. So he tied a string on a little eyelet on the front of the boat and he turned it loose in the lake and he let it go out in the lake and it was pulling against the wind and it would go this way and then it'd go back again on the end of that string. And a gust of wind came along and gave it an extra thrust and the string came untied and the little boat started sailing across the lake. And the little boy was in panic. He couldn't get, get his boat. And he went running up to the bench where his father was and started crying and said, my boat is gone. My boat broke off the string and it's, it's gone. What am I going to do? The dad says, well, let's just go try to find it. So they had to walk all the way around the lake. And when they got around the other side, they couldn't find the boat anywhere. The little boy's broken hearted. He said, Daddy, I worked so hard on that boat. He said, I know that, son. He said, I feel very badly about it. About a week later, this boy was walking down the street, and he looked in a pawn shop window, and he saw his boat sitting there. He knew it was his boat because of the markings on it. He was so elated, he went running in. He said, Mr., Mr., thank you for finding my boat. I want my boat. That's my boat in your window, and I want it. The man says, son, I'm sorry. That's not your boat. That's my boat. I paid for that boat. He said, if you want it, it's going to cost you X number of dollars. He said, well, I shouldn't have to pay for it. I made it. That's my boat. He said, I understand that, but I'm sorry that you lost the boat. As you tell me, you lost the boat. But he said, someone brought it to me, and I bought it from them, and you'll have to pay for it. Little boy went running down the street into his house, went up, broke open his piggy bank, took the money, went running down the street again, went in and paid for the boat and came out with a little boat in his hand. And he was heard to say, little boat, you're mine. You're mine again. He says, now you're twice mine. You're mine because I made you and now you're mine because I bought you. And when I read that story, I thought, that's what the believer should understand. We're twice gods. We're his by creation and then we're his because he redeemed us, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if he purchased us with his precious blood, that means that we have to realize that everything we possess in this life, whether it be talent, time, ability, gifts, education, material blessings, it's all belonging to Jesus Christ. And as his stewards were saying, Lord, how would you have me to use this? I want to tell you something. This really jerks around the person who thinks, well, here is my tithe. I'm returning to the Lord. That's the most ignorant statement I've ever heard in my life. That's a total misunderstanding of what the Word of God has to say. If we own nothing and you say, well, I earned it. I worked all week. God says he gave you the ability to do that. Had you not had the ability, how about if you had been born with about a, an IQ of seven and your legs and arms weren't completely formed? What would you do then? And you and I have no control over that. God blessed us and gave us our abilities. And God says, here, here's $500 I'm giving to you. Now, what I want you to do is return a tenth of that as your declaration of my ownership in your life. Boy, that's kind of tough. I remember a fellow that I heard about the tithe every week. And, and God blessed him. And his salary got bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally got into his own business. And I mean, literally thousands upon thousands of dollars were coming in every week. And he said to his pastor one time, he said, Pastor... I can't tithe anymore. It's just too much money. Pastor said, oh, really? He said, well, let's get down and ask God to bring your salary back down to where you can afford to tithe again. Then. It's very hard for the rich man, Jesus said, to get into heaven. Why? Because he begins to put his trust in riches and forgets what he is and who he is. The rich man fared sumptuously and died. And being in hell, he looked up and said, whoa, what's, what's going on here? And you know something? He didn't bring any of his riches with him. 
He didn't understand that God's in charge of all these things. And if we're Christians, we have to understand that we are His by creation and by redemption and that He has a planned future for us. We were saved by His providence, His foreknowledge. And He has a plan and a purpose for every one of us. And we'll never fit into that plan and purpose so we come to a place where we say, Father, I am not my own. I give myself to You. Body, soul, mind, spirit, possessions, everything. I give them to You and ask You to direct my life and help me to know biblical principles to operate by every single day. Paul the Apostle said that to the Church of Rome when he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, Christians, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Quit living for yourself and live unto God. Live for God's purposes, God's kingdom, God's goals. A living sacrifice, how is that? Holy, H-O-L-Y. Present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. Holy, what's the next word? Acceptable unto God. What's acceptable unto God? To do things God's way. Which is your reasonable service. What is your expected service? Don't go around to your thumbs and your armpits because you think you're a little bit religious and you do a little bit more than the next person. He said, this is expected of you. Why should you be praised for doing what you ought to do in the first place? You know, some people, they'll come around and do something and then they'll want everybody just to give them a claim. And someone says, well, wait a minute, that's what you're, that's what you're supposed to do. Oh, yeah, but I would like a little bit of appreciation around here. Let him give you appreciation. Whatsoever your hands find to do, do it what? As unto the Lord. And your heavenly Father, when he sees what you've done, he'll reward you openly. You do it in secret, in fact. He'll reward you openly. See, I'm talking about biblical principles here. Most people say, well, the way I figured out, I, I just, one and one don't always add up to two, and with God it will. If you'll do it God's way, it'll always work out. Now, I want to tell you something. When you change your direction to where you begin to go in God's way, Satan's going to tell you all the reasons in the world why God doesn't know everything and why you're going to get into trouble. And you're going to have a lot of things explode and blow up. Let me tell you something. I have had people say, you know, when I decided to really follow after God, things have been harder than ever before. I said, boy, that sure strikes me strange, doesn't it, you? When you're going with the flow, it's never hard. But when you go against the flow, and I want to tell you, in this world, when you start doing things God's way, you're going to go against the flow. It gets tough, but I'll tell you, the farther you go, the stronger you get. How many of you know the salmon doesn't have any trouble going upstream? They'll jump waterfalls and everything else, go right on up. And when we're doing it God's way, God gives us the strength to do what He wants us to do. And then He says, don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? That means quit doing it the way the world tells you to do it and do it the way God tells you to do it and He'll bless you. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Principle number one, you don't own yourself. Now, if you haven't learned this, let me urge you, if you want to have a, a fruitful life or productive life for Jesus Christ, get that down inside. And you say, well, there are some things in this life that, that I do own. Let me talk to you about that 100 years from now. We're only passing through. I have not met one person yet that's ever made it through without going through the death's door. Now, if Jesus comes, that won't be necessary, but I'll tell you, if he comes, you won't worry about the rest of the things here anyway. I remember when Beverly went home to be with the Lord and we painted the kitchen, had the kitchen all painted white, and I said, boy, I wish Beverly could see this. And my kids looked at me and said, you've got to be kidding. She wouldn't come back if it were painted purple. I don't think it ever would. She couldn't care less. And it took me a minute to adjust. 
And I thought, well, now wait a minute, I'm, this is her husband speaking, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When I get to heaven, I couldn't care less about any of these things back here. That's why we have to realize that we don't own anything. We're only his stewards, and he's going to hold us responsible for what we do with them. First thing is you don't own yourself. Secondly, we do not own one earthly possession. Look there at verse 14 again. Verse 14 of chapter 25 of Matthew. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into far country who called his own servants, do lost bond slaves, and delivered unto them, what? His goods or his property. He said, I'm going to go away for a while. Now here, I'm going to give you my goods or my property. And that word delivered, another translation has entrusted. It's uh, paradidomai, and it means as a mold reproduces forms in clay. In other words, this is my money. I'm going to give it to you, and you use it as though it were your own. I like that. He didn't say, now here's my money and you handle it like my money. He said, I'm going to give it to you. You use it as though it were your own. Invest it and do it whatever you feel like you should do. When God gives us something, he doesn't supernaturally cause us to be able to do everything supernaturally. He says, take the gifts and talents you've got that I've given you and use them the best you can. Now, it's interesting. He gave it to them according to their abilities. Our Lord does not go around trying to find some way to buffalo you and make you look stupid, make you feel defeated. Any gifts and talents he gives to you, he gives them to you because he knows that if you'll use them the way he wants you to use them, you will be successful. He's not in the business of discouraging people. It's when we violate biblical principles that we begin to get into trouble. Psalm 24.1. We want you to know that we do not own one earthly possession, and I want you to see that David understood this principle very clearly. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof the world and they that wow that's pretty all encompassing isn't it let me read that again the earth is the Lord the whole earth and the fullness thereof everything in the earth the world and they that dwell therein the cosmos they that dwell in this whole area belongs to the Lord look at Psalm 50 verse 10 for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. So he gets a little more definitive. Not only the world and everything is in there, but all the animals, all the birds. First Chronicles chapter 29, beginning with verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. Isn't that interesting? He said, we're getting ready to build you a temple. And everything we're bringing is like, here we're giving this to you. But he said, it's all from you anyway. We're just simply bringing back what you've already given us. It's not ours anyway. Here, we're just returning all of this back to you to build the temple with. By the way, David actually gave millions of dollars toward the building of that temple before he died. Millions of dollars into building that temple. And he said, all we're doing is just bringing back what you gave to us. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Christians would get that attitude? Why is that preacher always asking for my money? I laugh when I hear people say that. I think, you know, if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. First of all, I don't want your money. Secondly, all I'm trying to teach you is how to be blessed of God and to come into proper perspective concerning who you are and what you possess, that it all belongs to God. How many of you know that it's impossible to outgive God? I'll tell you, if you haven't tried it, you don't know. Haggai 2. I'll start with verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, I know that Satan has stolen an awful lot of it from, from God's people. But the Scripture says that the riches of the wicked are stacked up for the righteous in the days ahead. But we have to understand that every bit of gold and silver, all currencies in this world belong to God. He's in charge of it all. And whenever we have need for a ministry, we have to simply say, Father, I'm drawing upon your account because I'm here at your order. Whatever God orders, He supplies, He supports. I want to tell you something. We've seen some miracles in the last year of God making provision for a ministry here. And I begin to see God has been doing some restoring here. But we have to get our eyes off of the fact that what can we do? Rather, Lord, we're your servants. You just show us what you'd have us to do. And without reservation, we give ourselves to you completely. You know, I see some people stacking up and piling up and hoarding stuff. And, and the most amazing thing to me is there are some Christians that are hoarding their money here on this earth. And there's nothing wrong with having some savings. But they have made no provision for what God has placed in their hands as stewards when they die other than just to go to their godless relatives. And I want to tell you something. We'll stand guilty before God in that day. I mean, there are godless relatives that while they're living, they'd never give them a penny because they know they'd just use it all up serving the devil. But when they die, they think, well, my responsibility's over now. They can have it all. What are we thinking of? As stewards of God, we can't do that. I wonder how many people have made provision in their estate that if anything happened to them, that not anything is going to go to their godless relatives, but rather go into the kingdom of God. What makes you think that if you give it to your godless relatives that you're not going to have to stand and answer to God for it after you die? I've seen so many families where they've passed away and everything they have have gone to godless children and they have totally squandered in the things of the world. You don't understand that you're not your own. You don't understand that you don't have any possessions. That's the Lord's money. He placed that in your hands. How dare we put it out to godless people? Well, they're my children. But they have been in rebellion to God all their life. Do you bless those that are in rebellion to God? That's God's money. How dare we give it to someone who is not going to serve the Lord with it? How many of you would go down on Skid Row and give money to everybody on Skid Row that they can go out and get drunk? Here, yeah, in Jesus' name, go get drunk, you know? You say, I'd never do that. I know a family where both sons of the family are living in adultery, and the father and mother have just dispersed money to them to where they'll never have another need financially. Never have another need the rest of their life. And they recently, one of them came back and said, you know, I really think we made a mistake. They don't have any need for God. They don't have any emergencies. And so, hey, man, this is great. We're living in sin. We can go around on living in sin. But the horrible thing is, is here people who are professing to be believers underwrite that lifestyle. Thank God there are others that I can tell you about that when they found out that their children were not going to serve the Lord, they went right to their attorney and said, I want to make up a new will 
I want this to go to the kingdom of God, and I want this to go to the children that are serving the Lord, and nothing to go to those that are not serving the Lord. Why? This is the Lord's money. I'm a steward of God. I can't do that. And I remember the attorney was wise. He put, turned on a, an audio tape. said, now I want to understand so that they'll understand when this time comes, when this will is read, why you're doing this. And he said, this child knows what our convictions have been all of our life. We have never given anything to promote sin and immorality. And our child is living in adultery. Our child has rebelled against God. Our child is doing this and this and this and this. Therefore, unless there's genuine repentance on their part before we die, we dare not before God allow one penny to go to them because it's what God has placed and entrusted in our hands. Let me just say, if God owns everything, there's nothing left. But to recognize that we are stewards and entrusted to God. And again, I say, we do not give tithes. We return tithes. We give offerings. We return the tithe and we give offerings. And it's a privilege. It's not a responsibility. It's a, it is a responsibility to the obedient, but it's a privilege to return to the Lord to declare His Lordship in our life. I want to tell you something. I thank God. I know of a businessman that years ago was going under. And I said to him, do you tithe? And he said, well, not, not completely. I said, well, then you deserve to go under. He didn't like that too well. He told me later. I said, you deserve to go under. You're being disobedient to God. You say, well, that can't possibly be. Well, look back in Malachi, the third chapter with me. Malachi chapter 3, you say, well, that's under the law. Yeah, but the tithing started way before the law. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, Pastor Webb did not say you're cursed with a curse. God said you're cursed with a curse when you rob him of tithes and offerings. You see that? This is not Pastor Webb's interpretation. This is exactly, clearly what God's Word says. Now he goes on to say the opposite side. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Those are some nice promises, aren't they? If you don't rob me of tithes and offerings. Now you can reverse it and say, if you rob me of tithes and offerings, there are going to be some consequences. You say, would God do that? Turn back to Haggai again. The whole book of Haggai talks about this fact. The children of Israel had come out of captivity, had come back and started building their own homes, and things were going pretty great for them. They were getting their homes built nicely, and they were getting comfortable again, and Haggai was sent by God to tell them that he was beginning to extract his hand of blessing from them for a specific reason. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and, Josh, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, now this is God speaking, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. It's not time yet. We've got to get our houses built and get everything else settled before... Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses or your cedar paneled houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Does that sound like inflation to you? Put it in a bag and it... You lose it. 
Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man to his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labors of the hands. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest with the remnants of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet and as the Lord their God had sent him and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people saying I am with you saith the Lord and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel governor of the Judah and the spirit of Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest and the spirit of all the remnant of the people and they came and did work in the house of the Lord to the host their God in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. Now turn over to the second chapter, beginning of the verse 15. They heard the message from the prophet. God said, because you have not been building my house and doing what you knew you were supposed to do, I've done all these things to you. I have done all these things. I've caused all these things to happen to you. And they listened and they turned around and began to build the house. What's the end result? Verse 15, chapter 2. And now I pray you consider from this day upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. In other words, you were disobedient now starting the very first day you got ready to put that stone in place because you started to obey me. Since those days were when one came to an heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the press fat to draw out 50 vessels out of the press, there were but 20. I smote you with blastings and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands, yet you turned not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now, here it is, consider now from this day and upward and from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even unto the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine, and the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree hath not brought forth. From this day I will bless you. God said, I'm going to turn it around. Where you didn't have enough because you were disobedient to me, now you're going to have plenty. He said, I'm going to turn around. God can open and close the doors for us. He can cause the blessings to flow. He can shut them off. And he says in Malachi, it's because you robbed me of tithes and offerings that you are cursed with a curse. And if you will turn around and repent and be obedient in this area, he says, then I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing such as you cannot contain. Now, the thing that just absolutely amazes me is that we have enough faith to believe Jesus Christ for eternal life, but not enough faith to believe him to meet our needs if we're obedient to him in the areas of stewardship. I mean, he told Peter when they needed to get taxes, Jesus said, just go down and throw in a hook. And he said, the first fish you catch, the first one, not the second, the first one, he'll have a chunk of gold in his mouth, a coin, and you can go pay the taxes with that. I want to tell you something. Jesus has not closed down the fish hatchery yet. He knows exactly where to have our needs met if we'll let him. If we're obedient to him. I could just start in and tell you miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle that God has performed. And every time he did it in a way differently than I thought he was going to do it to provide for our needs. Our children used to always say, we never go away from this house and say that God is not working miracles today. My God has always supplied. And that's why I've said the church is not my source. God is my source. Don't you let your job be your source. Let God be your source. When you're obedient to him, he can bless you more with the nine-tenths than you can with the ten-tenths and have a curse on it. I mean, if Jesus can multiply the fish and the loaves, why can't he meet your need too if you're obedient to him? 
Now, I'm not talking about God. There it is. Now, I expect that back. No, that's the wrong attitude. What are you? You're not giving anything. See, some people say, there, I've given that. Now, no, you haven't given it. You've returned it. God, thank you for the privilege of returning that which you put in my hands as your steward. When you come to that place, Lord, it doesn't make any difference. If you don't want me to have a house, if you don't want me to have a car, that's fine. All I want to know is what do you want me to do? Oh, I couldn't do that. I've got to have a car. I've got to have a house. Oh, listen, God can take them all away from you. In one fell swoop, he can take it all away from you. We must recognize that he is our source. J.C. Penney learned a very hard thing when he started his business. And if he were still alive today and still operating in the same principle, I think you'd see J.C. Penney still continuing to mushroom. He was $3 million in debt as a, as a company. And he heard a message on stewardship, and he said, whatever it costs me, I'm going to start tithing from this day on to the Lord, returning the tithe to the Lord. $3 million in debt, he started returning tithe. And that thing turned around and became the success that it was. When I was a child, J.C. Penney's was the place of places to, to do your shopping. But he learned a trick there. R.G. Letourneau went into business. He said, God, this business is too big for me. I just want to be the director. I'm going to be on the board and just let you be chairman of the board. And that business continued to grow, and he kept putting money back into the Lord's work and more money in the Lord's work, and all the money went to missions and, and the Lord's work. And that, that became a multi, multi-million dollar business. And he went all over the world telling people, if you'll return tithe to the Lord, at the end of the year, if you don't have as much profit as you had the year before, if you've lost anything at all, he said, just send me, have your CPA send me the papers, I'll pay you back completely so you won't lose one cent. He said, never got a letter that anybody lost from doing it, but I got thousands of letters from businessmen who said, it works. Why? Because God's wet methods always work. I'm not through. This is one of the most critical truths that we have to learn as Christians. If we don't learn this, the rest of our lives we're going to have nothing but difficulty because we're going to be looking to the wrong source and leaning on the, and depending on the wrong source for our provisions. My God shall supply all our need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How many of you know if Jesus signs the check, the bank isn't broke? But when we disobey God, we're cursed with the curse. Why is God treating me like this? No, God isn't treating me. You have sown to the flesh. You're reaping the corruption that comes from it. Disobedience to God. I'm so glad that all I have to do is say the truth, speak the truth, and let God prove it. But let me say to you this morning, if there's any area that the Spirit of God is speaking to you this morning on, I want you to repent before God and say, God, I have been disobedient. Will you please forgive me? I will obey you. And I can assure you that the enemy is going to fight you like crazy on this thing. He will fight you like crazy on this thing. He will have everything in the world to happen. And you have to stand back and say, thank you, Lord. I can't lose anything because nothing is mine. It's all yours.